0: Um, why don't you grab a Bible or a phone or something and open it up to, um, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, while you're doing that, I just want to add, add one or two sentences to that. The thing about the Josie East, uh, Vision Day, that's the latest, uh, church plant in the advanced Joburg world, um. And yeah, it's just a day, it's a morning to go along, and if you're interested at all, really what they're looking for is that it's not like a, oh, I'm interested in finding out more what you're doing there, like trying to find people who will go with them and and plant together with them and um, add some help and manpower and stuff. So if you're interested in in anything like that, go along. We would love to send you there. Now, I know this sounds weird, like, why why can't we stay here? Like, we'd love you to stay here, but if God is sending you there and you think, I want to be part of that. Like, that sounds amazing. It's a tricky part of town. God's not calling everyone there. I think he's calling his special elite forces to that side of the world because it's, 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 they have massive challenges there. And because of that, they're needing some, some pretty mature, sturdy believers to come and lock arms with them and help them run there. So if that grabs a hold of your heart, if God's pressing your buttons about getting involved in something like that, we'd love to talk more with you and help you get involved in that. So... That's Josie E's plan. Okay, like a, a second Samuel chapter seven, we are um, continuing, if you've been uh, not around uh, or you're visiting uh, us. We're in a, a long-ish series on the life of David, looking at different things that um, happen in the life of uh, King David. Uh, you may not know much um, about him, but today you're going to see a little a window into a God's relationship. Um, and the covenant that God makes with David. So that's what we're going to be looking at. I think we're going to read—we'll um, read all of this, Second Samuel seven, together. And then I'll pray for us as we dive into the study. So, yeah, we're not going to stop uh, like we did last week, all the way through. Let's go uh, from verse one of Second Samuel chapter seven. When the king had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. The king said to the prophet Nathan, look, I'm living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, go and do all that is on your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I've been moving around with a tent as my dwelling. In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of armies says. I took you from the pasture. From tending the flock to be ruler over my people Israel, I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. I will make a great name for you like that of the greatest on the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them, so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evil doers will not continue to oppress them as they have done ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you, your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son when he does wrong. I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals, but my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words and this entire vision to David. Then King David went in and sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. For you have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And that is a revelation for mankind, Lord God. What more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God. Because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God besides you, as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself, and to perform for them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people you redeemed for yourself from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servants and his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the the Lord of armies is God over Israel, the house of your servant David will be established before you. Since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you. Lord God, you are God. Your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever. Let's pray together as we come to God's Word. Father, as we've just been reading in your Word, your words are true, and uh, and you have spoken and you continue to speak. And so as we ask, uh, week by week, as we we come to your Word, we pray that, that you would speak. We want to we still our hearts now in these moments and fo- ask you to focus our attention and our minds on you. Help us to leave aside the things that weigh on us and the cares and the worries of this world we brought with us this morning. And would you train our hearts and our minds and our affections now onto you? would you give us grace to receive from you what you're saying to us this morning? Would you give us hearts that are soft and teachable? Give us minds and lives that are able to be shaped by you and your word this morning. Thank you, Father, for the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us who teaches us, who reveals what you're like to us. And so we look to you for his ministry amongst us as You come now, Holy Spirit, and you teach us, and you lead us, and you speak. We long more than anything this morning to hear the life-giving, life-transforming words of the Father who loves us. And so we look to you now that you would speak for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just some quick context, if you missed it, where we are with David. Last week we looked at him moving the ark of the covenant to uh, Jerusalem, and that was uh, an interesting adventure. Anyway, it eventually gets there. And you see here at the beginning of um, chapter 7, it says, When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side. This is a few years on, they think, from the ark arriving in uh, Jerusalem. And basically, what's happened is that David has stopped fighting with people, uh, David was a warrior. Uh, at heart he's lots of things but one of the things he was was a warrior and god raised him up to lead his people and to, to secure them in the land and he was a he was a gifted warrior there's no other way to put it it's like these days it's not really like something you celebrate like we're all pacifists well many people are pacifists that we're all pacifists some of you are looking at me like i'll shoot you uh, uh, most people are pacifists it's like the fact that you're a gifted warrior like you get the mma kind of people and then you get People like me, I don't like MMA. Some of them must come to me afterwards and explain all of that punching and kicking and beating each other up stuff. I'm getting distracted. Claire's giving me the eyes, like stay on the, stay focused. David has stopped fighting with everyone. The Lord has given him peace on every side, and so he's sitting back uh, with Nathan, just chilling and chatting. And he has this thought: Hey, I have this cool cedar house. It had been Built for him as a, as a gift kind of thing. He's living in, in a cool king's kind of house, palace. Obviously, back then, a big cedar house was the thing. And he's comfortable, and he thinks, well, I'm in a cool house, but the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. Like, this isn't right. It's not right that I'm in this cool house, and, and God lives in a, in a tent still. So he reckons in, in his chat with Nathan, you know what I'm going to do? I've got a great idea. I'm going to build God a house. I've got a cool house. I'm going to build something impressive for God. And it sounds good, doesn't it? It, it sounds like, go, go, David. Like, yeah, yo, man, you're thinking about the Lord, man. You're not just thinking about yourself. It's an unselfish thing to do. Man, are you probably going to make a really cool house for God? Go, David. And if you read it like that, like it sort of starts reading like that. It's like, yo, go, David. And, and what happens? They, they part ways. David goes to bed. Nathan goes back to his house. And the Lord speaks to Nathan, and says, "Go tell that guy that this is what's going to happen. It's not going to be any house building going on, not from him, not for me. I don't need a house. I, I never asked for a house. I didn't. I don't need a house, and I don't need David to build me a house." Now, he, God didn't say it in the tone that I'm that I'm using, but before we talk about what God actually, the detail of what God says to David, it. You can't read this chapter and not be arrested by David's presumption. And it's a, it's a good wake-up call for us. That just because um, God may have blessed your life, that you no longer need to inquire of Him. Remember, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, that the difference between David and Saul was the David inquired of the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. Lord, where do you want me to go? He goes down to Hebron and gets made king. David inquires of the Lord. Here, you don't see David inquiring of the Lord. He just has a great idea. He doesn't ask the Lord, Lord, would you like me to build you a house? Is this a good idea? He's just like, i got a cool idea. I'm going to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord has to stop him. And he does it through Nathan. This is the first time you bump into kind of Nathan. Nathan starts to feature more and more in David's life. We'll get to that in a few weeks time becomes an important person uh, in his life a very powerful tool that God uses in David's life but he uses him this night to stop him from doing something that David presumed was a good idea and this is this is something that I felt very strongly reading this and living with this passage this week that we we need to live lives that are in t- that are constantly inquiring of the lord lord what do you want me to do what do you want me to do what do you want? Not not presuming on past blessing to think that we just the Lord's kind of got you going, and I yeah, thanks God I'll take it from here. It's lucky, like, like you you got me up to this point now I'm, I've got momentum off I go. We we live dependent on Him, dependent on on His ongoing revelation. of what do you want to do? Should you should you change jobs? Should you move cities? Should you marry that person? Should you should you should you? I don't know. I know the Lord does. Does he always reveal an answer? You know, like a wake up your best buddy and bring him a word from the Lord the next morning to you? No, he doesn't do that. But he does guide and he does answer and he does reveal his will to us. He does. And we we are the wisest when we are inquiring of the Lord and not presuming that just because we have heard from him in the past and we've been faithful and God has blessed our lives. That that's just going to continue unabated. David here. He doesn't lose his way. It's just it's a stark reminder that something that might seem like a good idea to you may not be a really good idea. It looks like a great idea, doesn't it? God needs a house. I mean, you—you know, you, could—he could raise funds, building funds. You could get a whole team together. The whole nation would probably be behind this idea. He could sell the vision of this. God needs a house. Great idea. The whole nation would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And God has to intervene and say, nope, no thank you. Don't want a house. Presumption. Let's have a look at the detail of God's promise to him here. It's amazing. When you read it, we won't have time to reread it again. That's why you need a Bible in front of you. You can scribble in it, make notes, highlight it on your phone or whatever else. God intervenes and sends a message to Nathan. And this is the, this is the gist of his message. David, I'm not the one who needs help. You are the one who needs help. I don't need a house. You need a household. If, you, if, you, if you're not all for the rest of the sermon, that's basically the summary of that section. I don't need a house, and I don't want you to build me a house. Here's what I'm going to do. I, instead of you building me a house, I'm going to build a household through you. It seems commendable that David's trying to do a good thing for God, and God flips it on him and says, you can never outgood me. Like your good um, deal idea to come and build me a house, Hashem, I'm living in a tent. It seems like, oh, wow, go David. And God flips it on him and says, look, this is a one-way relationship of goodness. I'm the, I'm the giver of good, and you're the receiver of good. And it's always going to be like that. Everything that you have is from me. You don't give me anything that you didn't already first get from me. All the goodness flows in one direction with God. You see it again and again in the scriptures. And David is about to learn this for the, I don't know, whatever time it is here. But that's the, that's the heart of it. David's great idea. And the language of this, we get lost a little bit in the English here, but it's a play on words. And I think some of God's sense of humor here. David's idea to build a house and God says, no, 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 you know. Uh, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. It's the same word, but it's a word that could be used for a house or a household, a dynasty, a lineage. And God uses it. I think, I think God's um, got a sense of humor. And I think you see it in, in, in this. It's a play on words. He's like, oh, okay, let's use the house thing. Hey, I don't need a house. I've never needed a house. God doesn't live in houses. He never did. The temple wasn't a house for God, like he's like homeless. He's like, oh, God needs a place. Like the ark is like, you know, needs protection, needs a place, needs a place of importance. God doesn't live in temples built with human hands. Pagan deities needed temples. God doesn't need it. God is the creator of everything. He doesn't need anything, want to build him anything. And, and that's what he starts by telling David. He says, listen, since the time I started calling you my people, I have been with you all the time. And where you've gone, I've gone. So I did not want you to build me a house because the people were always on the move. God needed to be on the move. He was always the one who was with them. Never re- He's never requested any of their help. This is something that we need to get into our heads. So in terms of God revealing himself to us, this is the nature of the relationship that you have with God. He doesn't need your help. He has never ever needed anyone's assistance with anything. With anything. We don't help God with anything. We serve Him. We serve His purposes. He does things through us. He does not need assistance. He does not need consultants. He does not need encouragers. We don't worship Him to make Him feel better about Himself. Like he's like on a Sunday morning, like God is just juiced, you know. He's just like, look at all these people singing cool stuff about me. Man, I'm just, I'm fired up for the rest of the week. God doesn't need that. He doesn't need anything. I love, I say it again and again, Matt redmond has got this wonderful quote, this wonderful picture about the God who breathes out. That you see in scripture that God never, ever breathes in. He's only ever referenced to breathing out. Because when you breathe in, it means you need oxygen. God doesn't need, God doesn't have need. He is the source of everything. He just gives and gives and gives. And he wants David to get this into his head. Now, David, you're not going to do anything for me, but I'm the one who's doing all the doing and the blessing for you. And we can just make all the jumps again and again throughout this. It's the same thing for David. It's the same thing for you. God doesn't need your help. And if you're a believer in Jesus, this is what the Bible says, is that you live under the goodness and the blessing of God. And it flows in one direction to you. And your call is to be a grateful, joyful recipient of the goodness of God. And not to think you owe him anything. Not that you, you, can, you can pay him back. Hey, let me start tithing because I want to give God back. i going to pay him for all this kindness. He's, there's nothing that you can give back to God to say thank you. You can't outgive God. He doesn't need it. He's not impressed with it. It's just the nature of the goodness of God that he just wants to share it and bless your life and let you live under the blessing and the goodness of it. It's astounding. What does this God say to David about his promise to him? When you look, if you have a, a pen, circle every time it says, I will, I will, I will, I will. God wants to get it clear in David's head. He says, I'm going to do this. He says, I will do this. I will raise up this. I will this. I will this. I will this. David, I don't need any of your assistance. I'm just going to pull all the strings. And David, here's a, here's a reminder for you. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock to be the ruler of my people, Israel. He's a reminder to David. Hey, David, we've come a long way, haven't we? We've only been in the David series for a few weeks, so maybe you can remember when Samuel found him. Where was he? Tending sheep. He was a shepherd in the wilderness. He wasn't even invited uh, to the the party. He was overlooked. He was the son who no one ever really spoke about, kind of like the outlier there. And God reminded him, he says, hey, I had my eyes on you, and I'm the one who took you from there, and look where you are now. You are now the king of the nation, Living in your cedar house, who did that for you, David? I did it. I'm the one who took you. It's it's a good, it's a good thing for us, Allah David, to sit and take stock of your own life and remind yourself how did you get to where you are? Where did all the goodness and the blessing in your life come from? There's only one answer, guys. There's only one answer, and if you're having a rough morning, let me help you by connecting the dots. It's not you. It was never you. It hasn't been you. You haven't worked hard to get what you have. Nope. No. You don't get to enjoy everything that you have because you've put in more hours than everybody else. That's not how it works. All that you have is the blessing of God. He has been kind to you, and he has led you and kept you. All the way through, everything that has come to you has not been because of you. It's been because of him. He's the one who took David from the past and did that. And he's done it with every single one of us. And he continues to do it. We get ourselves into a world of trouble when we think, hey, look what I have done. Look at me. These are my things. They're not your things. They're on loan. They're on loan from God to use for his purposes all your money is his you don't have any money I hate to break it to you when you die it's gone the only way you keep money is how you send it on ahead yeah exactly right you invest it in the kingdom and you get it in eternity I didn't make that up it's in the bible if you want to hang on to any cash give it to God and I don't mean no we're not going to pass the offering bags and you know like I'm not mean. I don't mean that you heard me a million times say You don't have to give this church any of your money. We're not after your money. But if you want to keep your riches, that's what the Bible says. You give them to God. You store up treasures in heaven where nothing can get to it. And you live rich towards God. Don't give this church any of your money if you don't want to. That's up to you. But your money isn't yours. It's his. You're just a steward. You're just a caretaker of stuff that doesn't belong to you. And it's not just your money, it's your time, it's everything. He is the one. I will, I will, I will. We're not in an equal partnership with God. We're not in an equal partnership, guys. This is a lopsided thing, properly lopsided, one-way traffic. And isn't it lacquer? Some of you are looking very concerned this morning. You know what happens is because we want to contribute. We want to contribute. Maybe you're one of those kinds of people when someone takes you out for lunch, you hate it if they pick up the bill. You always like do the, where's my wallet? Let me, all right, can, can we go Harvey's? I just want to contribute. You hate being spoiled by other people. You always want to chip in kind of thing. We have that deep in our hearts when it comes to receiving grace. We just want to chip in a little bit. We don't want it all to be The goodness of God. God has done everything, everything, everything. We want to just say, hey, God, look, well, you did 95%, but I've got this we can use. I've got two loaves and five fish, you know. We want to add something. We want to put something in. And God's like, I don't need anything. The only thing you contribute into the relationship is the sin that made grace necessary. It's the only thing we bring to the table, guys. God is the grace-giving one. He does it all. And all you get to do is receive. It's life-giving when you live like that. And it's joy-inducing. Because you don't owe God anything. You can't repay Him for anything. I'm getting distracted here. God says to David, I will set my faithful love on your descendant, and it will never, ever be removed. This is very important. He will set His faithful love, His covenant love, His chesed, That's the word for faithful love, coming and keeping love. I will set that on your descendant and it will never, ever be removed. I removed it from Saul, but David, here's my promise to you that you and your descendants, I will never, ever remove my love from him. Why is this important? Because the descendant of David, son, 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 the descendant of the, eventually becomes who? Jesus. And the faithful love gets set on. True son of David. And then the Bible says what about us? That when we place faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ. It describes us as being in him. We are in him. We are in him. The faithful love that God sets on the descendant of David, he then sets on you. On those who place faith. And he can never, what is his words, he will never remove it he will never remove it. this This is something that blows my mind every single time you bump into it in the Bible. That God will set his affection on you when he unites you to Christ and he will never remove it. With all your wondering, with all your doubting, with all your ups and downs, he will never remove it. That's his promise. He doesn't care how strong your promise is. He doesn't care how how tight your grip is on him, he sets the love on you, and he will never remove it because he's, this is his promise that he's making with David, and the fulfillment of it is down to Jesus, and Jesus and you get joined together in faith. And so for all eternity, remember, you're going to see it now, this is a forever promise, a forever. And it's, it's the, the Hebrew word for forever means forever. There's no fancy thing here. It literally is eternity. God sets his faithful love on you for all eternity. So forever and ever, those of you who believe in Jesus will have God's faithful love set upon you because you're connected to Jesus. It's amazing. He says he's going to establish this forever and ever. Let's move on to David's response here. What, what happens to David as he, as he hears Nathan say this? Remember, he's gone from the night before thinking, I want to start a cool building project. Nathan comes and delivers this. And, and guys, it, it doesn't strike us with the same force as it would have David. Remember, David, David remembers being a shepherd. David remembers living on the run, fearing for his life from Saul, year after year after year. God has now established him in the city, given him peace on all sides. It's going exceedingly well for David. Nathan comes and shares this word from the Lord, this promise to him. And David is overwhelmed. That's the simple summary of it. David is overwhelmed. He abandons his building plan. And what does it say? He says he goes and sits in the presence of the Lord. He goes and climbs into the tent where the Ark of the Covenant is, presumably. He goes to sit before the Lord. And he pours out his heart in this wonderful prayer um, that you see here. He's humbled and he's he's overwhelmed with the goodness of the promise of God. He remembers where he came from and everything that God has done for him. And now this promise that, David, I'm going to establish you and your descendants forever. Forever, my goodness, will never ever leave your house and your descendants. This is great news for David. He has a secure kingdom. He has a, a household that forever will sit on the throne. It's, it, it doesn't strike us because kings went to war, you know. It's not it's something that we live with. It's like it's, think of it as changing political parties. Imagine you could say to one of the political parties, you guys are going to rule this country forever. Forever, for eternity. They'd be like pretty stoked about it. That's the kind of thing about it for David. He's like, my thr- my family forever will th- be the family that rules and be the-, the, thr- the, th- the throne over God's people, God's kingdom. It's great news for David, and he's overwhelmed by God's kindness to him. It's a good thing, like David, for us. To go and sit in the presence of God and to reflect on the kindness of God over your life. To allow yourself to be overwhelmed by His goodness to you. Some of you might be doubting that that goodness, even this morning. Thinking, well, I'm going through quite a bit of stuff. Is this surely, this can't be the goodness of God in my life? God's goodness is not divorced from difficulty or struggle. Sometimes it's through those things that God's goodness is coming to us. And we would do well to, like David, go and sit before the Lord to say, and just be overwhelmed and say, thank you, Lord. This is too too much kindness. That's basically the summary of what David says. This is too much kindness that you're showing to me and to uh, future generations. What is the fulfillment of David's prayer? We don't have time to read the whole thing again. But David prays, he says, thank you, Lord, for giving me the courage to pray this. And he basically prays, Lord, everything you've promised, let it please come true. Let it please come true. And what happens? It does. It does, and it is. It does, and it is. We already mentioned it, the lineage of David. You open up your your, uh, Bible to the New Testament, and you read the genealogies. You know why the genealogies are there? The son of this, the son of this, the son of this, the son of this. To show that eventually when Jesus arrives on the scene, he is the true son of David. And when Jesus says, I am the son of David, this promise from the Old Testament, that there will come a son of David who will sit on the throne forever. And his kingdom will know no end. is speaking about Jesus. He arrives on the scene. And this is not a geographical kingdom we're talking about. The Kingdom of God is not a geographical thing, depending uh, some people you find on the Internet may, may, may try and tell you that kind of stuff, that America is God's blessed land, and whatever other jaw. like the Internet's a wonderful place, isn't it? But there's some interesting folks out there with some weird views. I'm just going to say it's not. It's not America's not the blessed land and the new, whatever else, and God's chosen people kind of thing. God's kingdom is a kingdom of people who've placed faith in Jesus and follow him as their king. And let me read to you a descriptor um, of who you are as the people of God. From 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who is Peter talking to here? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the church because this moves. God has always had a people. God, and I know there's different theological views around this. I don't have time to debate all of them now. But God has always had a people. And yes, he does still have a very, very special, unique relationship, I believe, with Jewish people, with the people of Israel. Absolutely. We can talk about that later, exactly what the nature of that looks like. There's a very special relationship. The Bible talks about that. But God relates now in kingdom language through his church. Jesus is the head and the king of the church. Those who place faith in Jesus become part of the church, become this, become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Not a nationality. We're bound by faith in Jesus and brought into a kingdom with a king, and we're on a mission. It's not a geographical thing. It's an eternal thing, and it's working its way out in the world bringing about the effects of kingdom values, kingdom purposes, kingdom work in the world. There are political systems that you can see with your eyes, and there is the kingdom of God that you can't see with your eyes. And you are part of the latter. Yeah, you're, you're a South African, most of us, I think. But your true citizenship is where? Yeah, in heaven. You're a citizen of the king, of, of the kingdom of God before you're a South African. You are both, but you're primary because the one's going to end. Sadly, you won't be a South African in heaven. You'll put your, <laughs> We won't be able to sing the anthem anymore at the rugby. It's going to be lame. But uh, we'll sing other songs. That will be better, I should say. Sorry. Uh going to get struck down here. Um, you're a citizen of an eternal kingdom, and it's the truest thing about who you are. So you should... Here's the connection. You should be more excited to be a citizen of God's kingdom than to be a citizen of any nation on earth. You might be one of those weird South Africans with multiple passports and all that kind of stuff, might be excited about that. It doesn't mean anything to God. And it shouldn't be the thing that you're the most juiced about. The thing that you must be the most excited about, you're a citizen of an eternal kingdom that has Jesus as its head. And because Jesus is the king of it, he gets to call the shots over your life. He gets to call the shots over how He uses your life, what He does, what He allows. He's ultimately in all authority and control. And He gives us a mission. And what is that mission? You see it in embryonic form here in Peter. To declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Because once... You were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have. Can you remember the time before you received mercy? Do you remember what that was like? Living without the mercy of God? I can see some of your faces. I know some of you. I I was with some of you when you came to faith in Jesus. You hadn't received mercy. But then there was a day, there was a time, there was a season when you encountered the mercy of God. And you weren't a people, but then you joined the people of God. And why did God do that for you? Why did he do it for you? So that you would proclaim the mercies and the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. You didn't sign up to walk out of darkness into light. He called you. He got you out of darkness and brought you into light so that you would testify about him. And you would shout it from the rooftops how good he is. And how good has always been to you. That you received mercy when you didn't deserve it. That is our job as kingdom people. Is to find a rooftop where you can shout. Find some rooftop somewhere where you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why God called you. Not so that you would just remain hashtag blessed forever. So that you would be a... A, a, a mouthpiece, a declarer of Him who called you. That you would speak, you wouldn't just think it, ah, oh, how cool's God, oh, I love God, that you would say it. It's not popular these days, is it anymore? Because God has done something in us. He's taken us from being people who didn't receive mercy to people who have received mercy. We should want to shout that as loud as you can, as often as you can, to as many people as you can. Because you've got something you never deserved. And we now live as members, citizens of the most wonderful kingdom, under the most gracious king. And that is the truest thing about you if you are a follower of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want to encourage you to examine this and to think about it. This is what he offers you is newness of life and meaning, and purpose, and joy, and forgiveness, and freedom, and life in Jesus Christ. That you get to be a South African, but you get to be a citizen of the kingdom, where Jesus calls the shots over your life, and I want to tell you, it's the best way to live. Because he is a good, good king. David knew him in part. We know him more, and one day we're going to be with him forever in an eternal kingdom where everything, everything will finally be exactly how the king wants it. That's not what we're experiencing now. We're experiencing pockets of it now. One day, it says he's going to wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death, no more sickness, no more sadness. The king will finally have his way in everything. And he will be worshipped by those who call him king. And we get to do that this morning. Father, we marvel at the kindness of your promise to David, and just how faithful you have been to do what you said you would do. You said you would, you would, you would, and, and you did it. And you sent your son into the world, the true son of David, to bring about the kingdom of God, and you've drawn us into it. You've given us mercy and grace and faith to believe in you, Jesus, and to follow you and to be to be part of your kingdom. And we rejoice in, in that this morning. We just want to say thank you, Father. Not just for saving us, not for just forgiving us, but bringing us in. Citizens of an eternal kingdom of goodness and blessing and joy and we, we love what we're a part of now, and we look forward to what we will be a part of forever. I pray for any are here this morning who still feel like they're looking in to these things from the outside. I pray that you would give them grace, that you would open up their eyes, that you would help them to see and to sense their need for you. And even this morning, the waves of your grace and your love would wash over their lives and give to them newness of life and joy In relationship with Jesus Christ. You would help us this morning, Father, to be people who are captured again by the desire to live as citizens of a different kingdom. Capture our hearts again with the mercy that you've lavished on us. Help us to be proclaimers of this mercy that we have received. You are too good to us, Father. We love you and we worship you this morning. We just want to sit in your presence this morning and say thank you. Thank you for seeking us out. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving our lives meaning and purpose. Thank you that you have set your faithful love on us. It's all you. And all we can give back to you is the worship and the obedience of our lives. And so we do that again this morning with joy in our hearts for the extravagance that you have and continue to show to us. We give you our love. We give you our lives. We give you our obedience. We say yes to you again. And we pray that you would take the glory due to your wonderful name from our lives as you see fit. We ask this in Jesus' name.